Hello, welcome back to another edition of ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce uh, joining today from the Kutubarabin headquarters, or not the headquarters, the studio of the pod. Uh, been up in the bush this weekend and just got across to the farm. And Christy, would you believe it? I've just been driving the boundary fence out here and I've seen a, a red-backed wallaby. Now, take that as an omen, if you like, around whether we might have seen a turning point uh, for Eddie Jones's outfit yesterday, but quite a brilliant uh, colouring on the little fella. Cruising along, managed to snap a picture, so I might have even put that out on the social media and I'll let the punters uh, decide whether that's a bit of omenry uh, as we move forward. But, mate, welcome back once more. Um, just uh, a hell of a game yesterday afternoon, wasn't it? Um, a real entertaining contest. Um but a case of, I guess, uh, so near yet so far for the Wallabies once more. Yeah, and I, isn't it just? I heard from one person. Do you say it's a, are you a half class full person from the first forty, or uh, you know the other? Obviously, the second forty didn't go to script, and and is that the is that the you know for twenty years it's been so close yet so far, and there's been glimpses of things where you can take from every game pretty much throughout that period where you've gone right. That's a good moment. Is that a turning point? It is a turning point. But I'm a believer, much like Eddie Jones, I dare say, that wasn't that impressive at various stages throughout the game yesterday because rarely does does any side take it to the All Blacks for 40 minutes. They did that. And yes, a 17-3, they got mowed down eventually. But I thought it was an impressive, improved performance with lots of takeaways where Eddie Jones and his wider squad should be feeling much, much more confident as they approach World Cup selection and then obviously getting on the plane. I think it's August 17, which is less than less than two weeks away. Yeah, you're right. Um, a, a glass half full scenario, half empty, as the old saying goes, a great way to look at it. But I think there's, you know, there's no doubt that what Eddie was selling last week and what you and I spoke about, can you really buy this on the strength of, say, 30 minutes where they didn't turn pressure territory possession into points at the MCG? They did exactly that in the first half in at Forsyth Bar, didn't they? Probably one try short of the dominance that they had. And you really felt that, oh, geez, that Tate McDermott try would have been really handy. Uh, an extra five points and possibly seven. Um, but it was a, another step ahead of where they were last week, wasn't it? And I think the fact that they were able to finish that pressure off. Uh, two tries within seven minutes, of course. Marika in the corner and then Tom Hooper. Um, who just had another whale of a game. And, and not that there was any doubt about his position on that plane, but he's probably going to be one of the first three or four names on Eddie Jones's team sheet. Um, what a season he is having. Uh, but you're right. It was it's just uh, the way they, they built. Uh, well, they didn't build into that half. They really, you know, dominated from the outset. Um, the power game was working. The forwards uh, carrying really strongly. Nice changes of direction um, from the halves. And the attacking breakdown, that was the big thing. I don't think I've seen that Wallaby's attacking breakdown work so well um, for so long. And I reckon it was probably the best footy they've played since potentially uh, the test against England in Perth when they were down a man and came back in that final 20 minutes to win there at Optus Stadium. Yeah, it's a fair shout. It's a fair shout. And and you're right to highlight Tom Hooper. And we've been marvelling about him for a couple of seasons, haven't we? And... and what we saw was a bloke that had just so much work rate around him and he's the guy that's hitting those attacking breakdown rucks, which is something that Scott Fardy used to do so, so well. But we, we saw not just one or two lone wolves out there. You saw four or five of them in the first half roll up their sleeves and go to work. Angus Bell, 
industrious, how good was he running from his own across his own goal line? Finds a weak shoulder, offloads, unleashes the giraffe, which is Nick Frost, and Pony Farmer Silly running onto the ball really well. We saw uh, clearly Tom Hooper, Fraser McWright, and a little bit of space time, Ron Balatini denting the line. And then, you know, Summer Krivy, I thought, yeah, here's some missing piece of the puzzle there because if you start to get a, a centre, a midfielder who can dominate that game line, stretch and attract two defenders, that's what you really need. He's not where the Wallabies need. He's got some, some injury issues at the moment as well. He's making his way back from an ACL, so he's been already short of a gallop, but he's still not there. And he saw defensively him biting a few times, going out solo, got burnt a couple of times with Jordan, Damien, McKenzie. They're Big issues on the defensive side of the ball, but once he starts getting that front foot ball and he can charge onto it ball in hand and start to bring in his offloading game, which is a huge missing piece of his at the moment, that's a, that will give the Wallabies so many more dimensions out there. I think at the end of the day, though, the All Blacks went back to basics, uh, you know, to start the second half, where they were pretty loose in the first half. Damian McKenzie trying to play with wits, they were uh, kicks in behind that were either sliding off the outside of the boot from your Braden Annals or your McKenzie's that are running deep and giving the Wallabies primed opportunities to attack. They went back to basics. They went through the middle. They sucked in Wallabies defenders who were too slow, too late, not enough work rate to get out. And then clearly the scrum issues. And it reminded you of, of something that Jake White used to say, that Who's the first bloke you pick in a test side? Your tight head. What's your second choice? Your reserve tight head. And the Wallabies there, they just got found out, didn't they? You know, there's no way a Pono Farmacilli, as good as he was, should be playing 60 minutes, 65 minutes in a test, given that he's barely played 20 minutes for Super Rugby. So he looked and got exposed in that second half, but it was a step forward for him, a step forward for the Wallabies side for sure. And, and lots of guys there, with their spots, I think, for that uh, that World Cup squad that will be named on Thursday evening. Yeah, sure did. And, and Pone, the thing I really liked about his game yesterday is that he actually ran at gaps or half gaps. He aimed for between defenders. He didn't get through, but he certainly got over the game line. He didn't just, you know, perhaps previously, as we've seen in the past, come from distance and run at players. He targeted the, you know, the weaker shoulders or inside and outside between defenders um, really well. Uh, Matt Fessler, another one to come off the bench and, and what a, you know, what a rapid kind of um, turn of events for him uh, on Saturday when he uh, only found out sort of not long, uh, when I think Ulysses was, was injured maybe uh, training, uh, didn't make the warm up uh, and he was in, he was, uh, he was on to, onto the bench and Dave Brecky, you know, goes down um, with a head knock inside sort of, I think it was about 18 minutes he was off. So to play 62 minutes um, to hit, I think all but one line out throw, um, was busy, industrious again, that word, around um, the ruck. A couple of good carries and, and Angus Bell, as you mentioned, just that run that from that turnover ball, bumped off uh, three or four All Blacks defenders, got the offload to Nick Frost. And I think they actually offloaded really well on the whole. Uh, Carter Gordon threw a nice one, I think, to uh, maybe Andrew Kellaway and uh, Mark Norgan-Idawasi with one to Andrew Kellaway as well, who really runs that tight support line from depth. Got great timing. Um, he, uh, he runs those lines really well. So yeah, there was a hell of a lot to like about the first half. Um, I think, you know, and almost not a, not a perfect half of footy from the Wallabies, but, but pretty close to it. Um, just a couple of little errors, the 50, 22, 
um, kick that was a brilliant heads-up play from Carter Gordon. And we spoke last week around how poor his kicking was. On the weekend, perhaps the uh, the penalty goal in the second half, which we'll come to a bit later, aside, uh, that was a brilliant 50-22 over the top of Will Jordan just before half time there. And you thought, you know, here's another opportunity, right? There's The ball was improved on the last couple of weeks. They actually made a few yards. Uh, but to get pinged at that point, that short arm for uh, being too slow or going into the huddle, the pre-line-out huddle by referee Carl Dixon. I think he'd warned Tate McDermott a couple of times. So so fair enough. The fact that that happened again after last year, I mean, that, that's just not good enough. Um, and the Artie Sevilla play on, on Tate, you know, that was brilliant. It was the tackle from Sam Whitelock, but without Artie Sevilla there, Tate McDermott still scores that try, doesn't he? He's going to roll forward and put it out kind of over behind his head over the line. But um, Artie, Johnny on the spot, holds him up and and you just felt, oh, that's brutal. That is the brutal moment. That could be a huge turning point and, and so it proved. Should he have kicked and and elected to have a shot at goals, Brucey, at that point in time, the Wallabies are leading 17-3, 14-point uh, lead, and then it takes it into a two-try on a penalty margin. I thought it was the one that probably before they got that second crack at the line out, Christy, I think it was only about 42 metres out. Um, the commentators might have said it was sort of four, more 45, but I think it was just beyond the 10. Um, and I thought then, and just watching it back again today, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, clearly. But um, to go again there, to take that out to 20 to 3, um, as we said, just build that scoreboard pressure. It's another three points. It felt, certainly on replay, it felt like the wrong decision then. Um, I guess kicking from that side, Carter... He had nailed those two sideline conversions, hadn't he? He was kicking well at that point. Um, but, yeah, I think the second, maybe the second line-out penalty was potentially about 10, 10 or 12 metres in from touch on that hand, that side from for a lower down. So, it, yeah. It wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have been an easy shot by any stretch of the imagination. I think if you look at it, though, it's between the 23rd minute when, they, when Carter Gordon slots his first penalty to take it to 17-3, the next scoring opportunities in the 60th minute when Carter Gordon's stepping up and at that time I think it's 17-13 it might have been cut 17-13 yep and and you you think about the pressure that starts to build when you haven't posted a point in 40 40 minutes and it's those little ones where you've just got to be able to keep the scoreboard ticking and it's so crucial a test match rugby for a young side to see you would imagine you just look up. Okay, great. Scoreboard's ticking over. I, I thought, you know, you, you, it could have. It might have been a fifty-fifty or a sixty-forty-one. We saw it, it paid off earlier at the start. Obviously, the show turned out a shot of goals pretty early on by kicking for the corner. Uh, it paid off there. Matty Fesler's line out was working. Oh, I thought he had a great, great debut. Um, but yeah, you're right to highlight those two big turning points, and it looks almost like referees have got a little bit of uh, but now that that Ranau has actually done that it's almost like people are looking out for what the Wallabies are doing wrong rather than what they're doing right and I thought in the second half Dixon was pretty tough on the Wallabies on quite a few occasions even the Artie Sevilla when he makes the tackle out wide oh, he's certainly not got back behind the last person's foot he's come in from made the tackle and he's and he's in the side when he when he's got on the ball and that should be straight in front of the assistant referee. You could just see Artie Sabia's body positioning, but nothing went right 
for them, the Wallabies there. And that's probably where a little bit of that experience that was missing or just one or two of those guys where I've really got to go, okay, we're not getting it right. What do we do to shift this momentum to change it? Because that first 20 minutes of the second half was just so dominated by New Zealand. It's not funny. And it feels that's where rugby is right now. It's a massive game of momentum and momentum swings and being able to respond or stifle momentum or at least limit the scoreboard pressure that does come when you don't have the ball. I, I don't think, you know, whether we see something different at the World Cup, we know France are a very good kicking team. We know the All Blacks are a very good kicking team. But certainly if you hold the ball and play well and you get momentum behind you and you generate quick recycles, you're going to get the rub of the green with the referees, right? And and suddenly those, you know, those maybe those 50-50 not rolling away calls, if you're on the front foot and you're getting quick ball before that, um, you are going to get those calls. If you're getting back foot and perhaps a bloke gets half caught in there or is being held in by a leg, then you're probably not going to get those. So it's about the ability to, you know, just stifle things, slow things down when it's not going your way, um, come up with those big plays like Artie Sevilla did to really limit that damage. You think, you know, one more try there. Let's say Tate scores that try. It's what, 20, minimum 22, uh, three at halftime potentially, or who knows what might've happened. It was, I think about the 27th minute or something. Um, at that point in time, uh, 20, potentially 24, three. Now that all blacks come back from there is, is a lot more difficult. Um, you just never felt that that 17, three was, was going to be enough. And, when you start that second half with those back-to-back penalties, you march them downfield, they score early in the second half. You just knew it was coming. It was going to be a hell of a fight for the Wallabies to to hold on from there. Um, look, it's devastating for them, no doubt. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, just how, how much they will take from that positive 40 minutes. It was 30 last week without the scoreboard pressure, but it was 40 this week, beating one of the World Cup favourites in their own backyard. Sure. They were down um, a significant amount of frontline players, but um, they probably made a few All Blacks players who were being vaunted as, you know, we've got great depth. I think there was a few questions raised there around. I don't think I've seen Damian McKenzie play that badly for for quite some time anyway. Well, let's be honest. Sam Kane comes back. He was missing because of the injury and making sure he's 100% right. The All Blacks captain returns. Sam Whitelock returns. Um Lester Fyga-Nuku, one of the best players in Super Rugby this year, returns. Sean Stevenson, a bloke that everyone was saying was God's gift, you know, gets an opportunity. So, Will Jordan probably moves to his preferred position at fullback and didn't he have a great game? So, uh, you know, Samsione, uh, Tokiaho, a uh, hooker. You know, that, that that was a very good side. So as much as we like to say, and people might go, you know, B team, 12 changes, the rest of it, 18 of the 23 that rolled up and featured for the All Blacks on Saturday afternoon featured in the Super Rugby final uh, six weeks ago. So we can't understate the fact that the Wallabies did do well. Um, there's one or two moments in the second half that aren't good enough, though, and they're from leaders. They're from guys that are experienced. James Slipper, first involvement, gives away a penalty for putting himself in a bad position in the ruck. And then not rolling away quick enough. That's inexcusable. You know, first two minutes you're out there and you're the, you know, you're the co-captain of the Wallabies, the guy who's played 131 tests. So those things are. Eddie Jay spoke about work rate, didn't he, in his post-match press conference? And when you think about it, it's they, those crucial 15 to 20 minutes is where they won it, not or rather they lost it, not the 
the the Quade Cooper fumble at the end, which was yes, a, a poor, inexcusable mistake for a guy that's had so many, you know, twelve years at the top, fourteen years at the top for the Wallabies. Uh, it's 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 the minutes before that uh, that they didn't get right. The one good thing, uh, or one another good thing coming out of it, Brucey, was Australia's found themselves a fullback, haven't they? Like Andrew Kelway has well and truly booked himself uh, the number 15 jersey at the World Cup, and you hope that there's no injuries. Who would be his second choice would be an interesting discussion in itself. But, oh, Andrew Kelway, it's nice. Isn't it just a reassuring thing to know that, hey, you've got a guy who's pretty safe under the high ball, a good defender and as you talked about the timing that knack of running onto shoulders and getting offloads is he did it in melbourne he did it again in dunedin it's it's a it's a huge relief to a block down that position because it almost completes a back line you know the moving parts and the wings that can you know th- those those things can change a bit but a fullback and their how they link with the midfield and the halves uh, is so so crucial yeah, you'd say that back three is certainly locked in now. And what about Jordy Pattaya's, I guess, form oh, since his return these last two games? Had a big, a long injury layoff himself. Has that been good enough to the fact that, or so much so that they, they really don't need to rush Lenny Katow back in that first game against Georgia in particular? We know it was kind of going to be probably touch and go right on that 6-8, to eight, uh, the longer end of that 6-8 to eight, uh, week uh, recovery for... Um, his broken scapula. Has he done enough now that you think, you know what, we can probably put Len on ice for one more week if we really need to. If he's 100% recovered, then fine. Um, and, and what about then Karevi at 12? Um, some injury concerns, as you mentioned, um, but uh, he's, he's still, he's not making those, you know, those really barnstorming runs we probably associated with him pre-ACL. Um but he looks like he's getting there. I really, you hope that this latest little setback doesn't, you know, just put him back a couple of notches in terms of the actual knee and, and the kind of, um, you know, form he was trying to get back into. Yeah, I, so I've heard it's a broken hand. Where it is, I'm not quite sure. But uh, he he goes regardless. Um, does he play the, the, the warm-up match against France? I, I think there's long odds of him featuring in that. And... And that in itself, when you've got a Lenny Cattell who's, who's not back yet, I'm not sure for how much he's been able to train. Uh, but that's not that's a serious injury that he's coming back from. So that's that's a concern because it's not like they've got that many options of guys that can play inside centre. Lalakai Saketi, of course, can did for the work task, but hasn't played in, well, it would be two months since he last yeah. played, which is a long, long time. And... You know, we've seen him turn to Izzy Parisi, bench cover, a guy that came on yesterday, had a good involvement at the breakdown right at the end there. But uh, could we see Jordan Bataille shift to inside centre? I wonder. I'm not sure. But it's possi- It's a possibility if Karevi's not fit because I can't see you taking more than four setters to a World Cup. It, it just, you, you just don't take more than four. Sometimes you'd take three. But... Um, if, and, and if you just save off the top of your head, Karevi and Nikitao go. Uh, like we know that Geordie um, Pattaya is going to be there and then probably a Parisi, given that what we've seen over the last couple of weeks now. Yes, Fiketti's been in the wider squad, but um, clearly Nikitao's not there and hasn't been there for a couple of weeks either. So 
the decisions to be made there. I think Pattaya had a reasonable go without being outstanding, and he's still coming back. We've got to remember from an injury too. So, yep. the next six weeks to go, the next four weeks, we, we it's five weeks until the first game. Which is crazy to think that it's coming up so so quickly, and we're both getting excited because we'll be over there. But but um, there's some really big decisions to be made. Come World Cup squad for the for Eddie Jones over the next couple of days, and there'll be very like you know there'll be some seriously sorry faces, aren't there? Well, there's probably one massive, or there's a couple of big decisions, and potentially one massive one that I think would probably you know, send shockwaves through Australian rugby. And it's going to come in the back row. Um, Eddie Jones has got a, a couple of big, dis- well, certainly one big decision there to, to weigh up, doesn't he? And it's whether he can take a half-fit Michael Hooper. Um, now, we've, as we heard in the, you know, the last week or so, that um, this calf injury that he's had was clearly worse than what they first originally told us. Um, it's proving, you know, certainly difficult uh, to rehabilitate so much so that he's missed three games when it was originally supposed to be only one. Um, and that now you've seen a back row that kind of looks really well balanced, at least for probably playing against the, the I guess, uh, the less combative teams, if that's the right word. Maybe not against the Springboks and potentially an Ireland, but potentially teams, if you were to say, um, I think against Wales, you'd probably play that configuration that they had yesterday, wouldn't you? And and that Hooper at six, it's Tom Hooper, Fraser McRide at seven, who I think that was that must have been very close to his best game in a Wallabies jersey to date. Uh, and clearly Rob Valentini at eight. Is there a massive call coming here with Michael Hooper at number seven that uh, can they really afford to take him on this plane despite the, you know, 100-plus caps, 120-plus caps of experience, the most cap Wallaby captain of all time and everything he's done for this team over the years? If he's not quite there in terms of fitness, knowing, seeing what we saw on the weekend, uh, the fact that he can only play number seven, really, when you consider um, that all his rugby, I think, has been played there at test level and probably super rugby level as well. Um, just in terms of being limited to 33 players in the squad, you're already carrying a, a, a probably a half fit or recovering rather, Lenny Katow as well. Is this going to be the biggest decision uh, in one of, well, certainly one of the biggest World Cup decisions in Australian rugby history? Yes. I don't think Michael Hooper's going to France. Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't know how he gets back in there. And I think that was a changing of the guard on Saturday afternoon. And they needed nothing. Fraser McRite was very good. I, I almost feel like that breakdown steal that he made first phrase from the line out uh, was, was the moment. It was incredible, wasn't it? It just, it goes, yeah, okay, he's got the potential, he's got the timing, um, and Tom Hooper was brilliant, and he, I think, is, if you're not wanting a Fred McRide at seven and you're wanting a big back row, I think Tom Hooper is your seven between the two. So I can't see a place for Michael Hooper, nor for that matter can I see a place for potentially a, even a Pete Samer, and, and that could be the decision potentially if you go a Samu or a Michael Hooper or is a Jed Holloway I think he probably goes just because of uh, his ability to cover locks as well but there are some crunch decisions and and I don't think that you can take a Michael Hooper who's firstly not had a good season secondly he's not fit thirdly he's had 
on and off field kind of struggles about where he is and what he wants to do uh, and how he's feeling. I, I think there's we put everything together and there is an argument to invest in a guy like Fraser McWright, who's young, who's a former junior Wallabies captain, who's going to be part of the Wallabies going forward and going, you know what, you put everything together, big decision is needed, uh, Fraser McWright, you, you're going. And I, I'd, I'd guarantee that Michael Hooper would would do everything that he can to make sure that if anything happens, that he'd be fit and ready to be caught up at any any point in time because it's a long tournament. But for a 33, I don't see how Michael Hooper goes to France at the moment. And that in itself has ramifications beyond that as well, doesn't it? Because, uh, I mean, there were scrum tight heads an issue clearly. Um, but you're not going to just want 40 minutes out of Angus Bell at the moment, are you? You want... 60 minutes because he can go that long and he's got the engine he's got the physicality the work rate the the absolute works burger of a loose edge prop um from what he's dished out or what he how he's performed in these these two Bledisloe games um he's got to be in that number one jersey now for me moving forward so does that suddenly create a situation is Tate McDermott is he now your captain is he going to be the man uh to lead the Wallabies uh, were they going to be announced, you know, on Thursday night in Darwin, as we said, is he the man to, to lead this team, uh, to hope, well, uh, at least they start a campaign, campaign. Uh, uh, perhaps in a co-captain set up with James Slipper offering cover off the bench. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to be, to be honest, I, I would be having Tate McDermott as, as the Wallabies captain at the world cup. And I wouldn't go down the co-captaincy model route. I'll do away with that. That said, I would name two vice captains for the campaign that if at any point in time Tate McDermott's not there or indeed you want to mix things up and have a different uh, nine that potentially starts against an opponent for tactical reasons one of those vice captains comes in there I, I, I'm not being a fan of a co-captaincy model uh, I, I, I never have but I understand why uh, why Eddie Jones did it for the start of the rugby championship and I think it allowed actually the Wallabies to have to give themselves a bit more time around actually who might be the captain at the World Cup because, it, it you know, we've seen that Michael Hooper, an injury has probably meant that he's perhaps being pushed to the side, but it gave Eddie, I think, a bit of time to work out who's going to be there in time for the World Cup and who's not. And and Jay Slipper, as is, is, is good as he is, he's a warrior, he's been there for a long, long time. I just like the new, and you know, Eddie Jay's, termed it a new era on Thursday it feels like a new era a new era where there's young guys coming through that have got a fresh voice that don't have the, the years of scarring that a lot of the guys that at the moment who are in their 30s currently do have I think the fresh voice is what's needed and I just like the competitiveness that Tate McDermott offers and 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 you, there was actually even a moment in the first half I think it was in the first half where Carl Dixon clearly wasn't happy with something was going on down a breakdown. And Tate McDermott asked him, well, can you have a look at this? Dixon goes, you know what, I, I was pretty happy with it. Tate doesn't argue, says, yeah, no worries, okay. Tom Walks up. away. And there was just a slight change in, in difference with how Tate approached the referee in that point of uh, time. It was refreshing to see uh, Wallaby's captain not necessarily be dismissed or have an answer already preconceived from the referee because of what the reputation that's been built up from Australian rugby for years and years. He's covered offence as well. Um, just when the All Blacks 
the few times that they did threaten in that first half in particular, he made, I reckon, half a dozen channels, uh, sorry, half a dozen tackles in those wider channels, um, tracking across as halfbacks tend to do, um, and made some key tackles, one on Braden Enor, might have been one on, on Will Jordan or Les Tafanganuku as well, where he just managed to hang on and for dear life and, and stifle that particular attacking rage. Um, but uh, you're right, it was a real kind of look to the future. And I think, you know, no Australian rugby supporter would think that they're going to France and have got more than potentially a 5% chance of, of winning the whole thing. But if you look ahead to 2027, and, and no doubt, you know, we'll come back to this post-tournament and through the next few years ad nauseum, but there's the nucleus of an exciting young team coming through there. And you referenced it, I think, Maybe after the South African game, Christy, arounds, at what point does Eddie Jones think, okay, you know what, we've got to look to Australia 2027 as much as we're looking to France 2023 here. This smash and grab mash mission isn't going to be that easy given what we've got. So do we take this opportunity to get, you know, some good hard test um, pressure rugby into these younger guys that are coming through? And we've seen it with Tom Hooper. We've seen it with Carter Gordon now. Um, Andrew Kellaway's finally getting, you know, some consistent games together. Touch wood, that continues. Uh, who else? Fessler comes off the bench on the weekend. Angus Bell's back. Nick Frost. These guys, this is the nucleus of a team that that's going to be, you know, uh, fairly strong come 2027. And even before that, two years, the lines are on the doorstep, aren't they, as well? So um, you kind of feel that transition's been made. Do you think that he's going to stick to it, though? Or will we see... Uh, Eddie revert to potentially a Nick White and Quade Cooper? Possibly. Uh, I question. I think Quade Cooper's going on the, on the plane. I think he'll be... Uh, I'm not sure if he's necessarily going to start, but I, I think he's in the, in the mix and he's probably always making the 23. Nick White, I've got questions over. I'm not sure if he's going to the World Cup. Uh, and I say that for a few reasons. I think the tempo's gone out of his game. And I think it's moved beyond Nick White at the moment. I, I think uh, against South Africa, his tempo wasn't right. It took way too long with a lot of his setups and become way too obvious. Um, and I think we saw even against, you know, at times he was all right against Argentina, but against New Zealand, that was probably about as poor as I've seen. You mock a bench where you're supposed to provide an injection of pace, turn things around, and it, and it wasn't what was needed and necessary at all. I didn't see a huge amount of improvement on Saturday either. Uh, Eddie's got questions to make because in the past, you've always had to take a bit of a gamble between do you take three hookers, three, two nines, two tens. How do you balance it? Because it was only 31. Now it's 33. So there's a certainly you're going to take three hookers. No question about that. Whether or not he takes both three nines, three tens is the question. I don't think... And this brings in someone like a Reese Hodge with his concerns around in the centres too. But Ben Donaldson, Reese Hodge are playing for one spot, I think, and I think it uh, and and they potentially become the third ten uh, unless there's a, a major injury and another one comes in. But at halfback too, do they take two halfbacks or three halfbacks? Uh, and that's a really really big question. Does why I think McDermott, of course, is going, and, and we've said that he's he's the captain, but he's the bloke who provides that pace and it's quite different to any other Australian halfback at the moment. Isaac Vines, I think, will be on that Australia A tour. Uh, and and she's a guy that similarly got great pace, um, can play heads-up rugby. 
but huge calls. And I still would not rule out Tarua Kerbalo. And I'll tell you what, this squad's being unveiled in Darwin. And, you know, it comes from Darwin, Tarua Kerbalo. Kerbalo. And I, I just, and I, I've just, I've been hearing it for a while that he's definitely not out of the picture. And for me, I haven't, I haven't been impressed with both Nick White, but I'm also surprised that Ryan Lonigan hasn't been given an opportunity. Is there something that, that will, I might be missing or other people might be missing that Eddie's seen about Ryan, but I know that he's heavily, he's, he's well-liked at the Brumbies. Thought of as a long-time um, captain there. Uh, he's, he's the guy that's got a great pass and he's a goal kicker too. So I've been surprised that he's not there already, played a match, but there, there, could, be, there could be a big selection at, at nine too. Is experience perhaps the thing that gets Nick White over the line? Say if you're going to leave a, a Michael Hooper out, we know Alan Alatoa is not there. That's two guys already from that original leadership group. Is that the potentially the one thing that, as you mentioned, I, I probably agree. I'm, and I'm a Nick White fan and have been for a long while, but uh, his efforts uh, this season, certainly for during the, the rugby championship and on the weekend, have been pretty ordinary. Um, you mentioned the goal kicking, but I just wonder the value of that little bit of experience he and Quaid, when you consider those other guys might not be there, um, and, and certainly some other guys who have probably been accustomed to seeing in that team, uh, maybe not a Pete Sam, another guy with some decent experience. Um, yeah, it's it's a big call. I just, you know, as Eddie, we've seen it in the past though. He hasn't, he doesn't shy away from making them right. Um, not at the World Cup, but he used, as you mentioned, a number of times. Dylan Hartley there uh, as England captain for that two-year transition after twenty. 15 uh, and then cast him aside. Um, we've seen him make big calls around uh, Owen Farrell in the captaincy at times, uh, not dropping him from the squad clearly, but, um, you know, going with a, a Courtney Laws, a skipper instead. So he's he's got no, you know, there's no track record to suggest that he hasn't got the cojones to make a couple of big calls over the next, let's say, 48 hours. Well, I think the big thing is here is experience is probably only as good as it is when you're winning or if or if or if a player's demanding their spots I, I think it, uh, we, we could probably almost get too caught up in what experience is if it's not being a positive thing because it was interesting hearing some of the terminology from Betty Jones over the last week where even on his Thursday press conference after naming the team he talks about the habits that are needed to make the shift here that Sometimes you don't want to win too early because it glosses over some of the poor habits that have been embedded for a long, long time. Uh, and and if you've got your leadership, your experienced players who haven't been winning, well, what it does is surely just drum in a losing psyche, doesn't it? Like, so what's the benefit point, of having yeah. the experience there if it's not doing anything? I just wonder whether or not the experience from Nick White of... of and, and I'm surprised them were saying this, but a year on, I don't feel like necessarily the experience is a positive thing at the moment. Uh, and we'll see. I, I'm sure if he goes, he's a he's a guy that probably suited to knock out rugby uh, almost. You know, he's he's done it for Montpellier. He did it for Exeter, made finals, won finals. Uh, he's the guy that's got a generally speaking a good kicking game. We just haven't seen enough of it over the last six months, and that's the concern. Finally, tight head prop. We mentioned it a couple of times. 
Tenula Tupu, the rib cartilage, um, certainly no kind of clear recovery date. I think we've got in mind at this point for him. Certainly Ponay, the scrum held up pretty well, you'd have to say, while he was on. They might have been a tad fortunate with a couple of those decisions in the first half, but I think is the way it's been refereed, as soon as you see the pancake, you're going to get pinged, and that was certainly Nepo Laliala, and I think Williams on the other side dropped his knee there early on, but it was a real concern in that second half, wasn't it? If the All Blacks don't get that scrum dominance again, they don't win that game. Uh, you think about, I think, in the lead-up to both uh, Stevenson's and, and for now Strines, there was a scrum penalty, and then, of course, the final one there where... Assuredly, had gone through the 90, right? That scrum, uh, you know, it was probably, you know, in, deem, in need of a reset. They had dominance, but I think the Aussies, the Wallabies had held up pretty well in terms of the engagement and, and staying square. So um, that's the big concern though, isn't it? Like if you think it, if it's Pone at the moment, not knowing how far away Taniella might be and even concerns around his durability, right? Like we go back the, the past few years, the, the amount of rugby he's missed, whether it be calf, knee, Achilles, and now ribs. Um, if you're looking at the, saying that why the Wallabies can't, you know, potentially reach a semi-final even from that weaker side of the door at the top of that list. Sorry, weaker side of the draw. You're putting scrum at the top of the list, right? Oh, totally, totally. And I touched upon it earlier with the Jade White references there with the tight hands. Oh, and look, I think if that was a World Cup semi-final or a knockout match on the weekend, I reckon Taniela two players playing that one. I, I think that. From what I'd heard from a lot of people, you, know, you can do things to mask a bit of that pain, and um, yet, yeah, and and it's it's not uncommon for for a bloke to have an injection pre pre match to 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 numb that and, and get them going. So I think he'll be all right. What it you just hope that it doesn't affect Tanya build up too much that he's still able to try, still get the reps in, still get fitter. He looks um, explosive in his. Uh, 20, 30 minute cameo in, in player slow one. Um, and you need that 40 minutes. See, if Daniela or Adelinel would tell come off the bench uh, or on the bench on Saturday afternoon, well, it's been that. There's no question in my my opinion. Uh, and, and unfortunately, Pone, uh, he's, he's been a 10 to 15, 20 minute player for the Rebels. And there's no way he should be going 60 minutes for the Wallabies. And you saw it the 61st minute, 67th minute, the Wallabies scrum get, goes down, long advantage just played, oh, got the longest advantage than you've seen in a long time. But they came with Farmacilli still on the field. At that time, Nongor had come on and then come off because Farmacilli was having a quick HIA check. Um, he said that he was all right, stinger down the neck uh, when he when he kind of had some friendly fire with Nick Frost early in the yeah. second half. So... He'll, he'll be there, but good to get you know, 60 minutes in Pon A. He's a 30 to 40 minute player at the moment. As to Angus Bell, you know, can you do things like you bring on a Bell after 35 minutes so that you finish a game with him? Uh, oh, I, I, I think at times you're going to have to be experimental with how you use him throughout the World Cup, but he is. He is such an exciting player, and we mentioned Tom Hooper and how exciting he is. Some of the comments from Eddie Jones were superb around, look, he's said he got half his body. If, if, if any of the public finds the other half of his body, bring it to the sheds after, thanks. Uh, that's just a reference of him being 22 and, and growing into his body at this point in time. But Angus Bell's 22, yet already is well-classed. And you imagine what he could be in, in two years' time for the Lions and then in four years' time for a home World Cup. 
he is a wrecking ball. Uh, and, and it's such an exciting player. We, we need an now, and Australia needs to find now, the Trojan horses like Sam Whitelock, who just get the job done all the time. That's who Australian rugby needs to find, the real Trojan horses that know how to win with the rugby starts. And didn't Whitelock just send a timely reminder around his quality uh, on the weekend? All the talk, and rightly so, has been around Scott Barrett and how he's been playing, and you and I spoke about it. Last week, um, his season with the Crusaders, uh, leading them to yet another title and then to come in. And some of the things he was doing at the MCG last week were, you know, just uh, beyond what you expect a kind of a normal lock to be able to do. And that's when you consider the All Blacks have had guys like Brady Retallick and, and Wylock. But what you saw from Wylock on the weekend, the scrag of the tackle on McDermott was one. I think there was probably three or four breakdown steals um, and a couple of vital ones there in the first half when the Wallabies did have... Uh, were on a bit of a roll. Um, look, uh, Retallick's got uh, a bit of an injury, and I think there's some update uh, just around how long he's out moving forward. Uh, still going to be at the World Cup, but clearly not ideal for a player who's also had his fair share of knocks over the years. But um, yeah, just a you know a real just reminder from Sam Whitelock is that you know, hey guys, I'm I'm still here and I'm still a pretty handy player, right? Oh, totally. I, I think Sam Whitelock is the if you look at the last decade of international rugby. I can't think of a better, more consistent international player than Whitelock. And it's no surprise that he just turned it on in his last home, ga- home game before, of course, continuing his career with uh, Poe in, in, in France. So uh, good signs to them. Uh, and I think the thing with the All Blacks is getting into a World Cup to have overturned a side and a deficit like that, uh, and that'll just give them a lot of confidence and clarity and composure going forward, knowing that they can do it and they know how to do it. That's the big thing that they have on their side now is that they'll be they'll be tested at some point in time, either in a quarter or a semi, and they've overturned games. They've had the blistering starts and then they've had the other side of the coin where they've been beaten out of the gates, then slow, and they've changed their tactics and they've gone back to what they do best, which is the bedrock of international rugby, strong set pairs, great around the breakdown, and then finishing with with competence. Yeah, Ian Foster's probably just got one or two calls, I think, left to make if he hasn't made them already. Uh, he's squad pretty settled, though, um, and, and no kind of major injuries, uh, or multiple major injuries in the past few weeks, which is good news for New Zealand. They named their squad on Monday. The Wallabies, of course, Thursday night from Darwin. Um, clearly not ideal if you're a rugby reporter in Australia and you're based in Sydney. Um, I won't be making the trip, mate. I'm not sure whether you're going to uh, fly up there, courtesy of uh, the Roar and Tony Harper and a hello to you again, Harps. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess a different way to announce a squad. The last uh, two World Cups, it's been, with Qantas being the major spawner, it's been very much out at, uh, well, certainly out at Sydney Airport and one of the big hangars out there. And um, they've been had the guys uh, walking out of the plane and, on the, taking their position on the on the stairs into one of the, the jumbo jets or whatever on these days, Dreamliners. But um, this will be a little bit different, won't it? Yeah, it will be. And uh, there, was a, there was beautiful moments earlier in the year when Eddie Jones was at match reveal. And it was, a, it was a lovely welcoming home to a guy that bleeds and dreams and thinks about rugby 24-7. I think there's going to be something nice and, and it always seems a bit wacker at the moment that it's going to be a long, long way away from what we've become accustomed to. But 
I think it's, it, it, you know, this is what Australia rugby needs more Indigenous players. It needs to spread the game. Uh, it needs to always remain at its core, but it needs to spread into into an area like where they're heading um, in the Northern Territory. Could be quite a, a really touching moment where they're going to go away off grid for a little while and just get really close together. And you talk to some of the guys in 2003 and Lottie Tikira coming pretty close to a crocodile and a couple of other stories. And 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 they all said that that was a, a couple of days that proves invaluable heading into a World Cup, which is long and arduous and times can feel probably lonely because you, you're not able to get away from things too much. And uh, they've got a long, busy couple of months. And we think about, we've been talking about rugby since it's the end of January, haven't we? Well, the middle of January. Was 16th, the, yep. Yeah, so uh, lots lots happening at the moment and Thursday evening we'll find out that some huge selections to be made. I, I think the other one that, just touching upon quickly, the uh, fullback, does Tom Wright go? I'm not sure if he does, but there's, there's you could write the way through from 1 to 15, big calls to be made. And you, if you were sorry for those that put everything into it, that don't get it. But uh, it's professional rugby, isn't it? And only 33 people will be fortunate enough to go to France. That's it. That's it. It's, um, you know, there's going to be some some hard luck stories there. Uh, it's gutting for, for some players. And, it, you know, it may well force a decision on their part around how they view the next few years of their careers. And But that's the nature of professional sport, isn't it? It's um, That's the reality. Um, there's always going to be as many happy stories as there is sad ones. So... Um, to the 33 players, uh, well done on Thursday night. Uh, I'm not sure. We might do a little bonus pod to break it all down, depending on what's happening around the grounds. Um, I might be making my way back to Sydney from the Coonabarabran studios of the pod, so we'll see how we go. Uh, made a few other results, I, I guess, around um, World Cup warm-ups. Another win for South Africa over Argentina. Wales get a badly needed win over England, and um, you know, certainly Steve Borthwick's got some uh, some issues to confront there in the next few weeks. Um, with uh, I think sixteen nine down in down in Cardiff potentially. Uh, Scotland come from behind to beat a what is a severely understrength France, but we know the depth that they've got as well. Uh, Ireland beat Italy. Um, you know, I think uh, a couple of other results in the Pacific that don't spring to mind. I haven't got in front of me, but. Uh, a big one was another result for Simon Rowe, Louise Fijians, yes. who, who smashed Jamie Joseph's Japan. Uh, of course, Fiji's in the Wallabies. Uh, and, and is, is, we know, Christy, they've played them certainly going back uh, 2015, 2019, 2011. I can't remember whether they're in the pool. I don't think so. I think I said it maybe. 07, 15 and 19. And certainly... 15 um, was a tight enough game. I was at that one down in Cardiff. Fiji, you know, certainly I think it was about 20 points, 25 points, maybe the margin in the end, but they weren't disgraced at all. Uh, we know the first half that they turned on in Sapporo four years ago. They were the better team um, up until halftime. And a couple of, you know, you remember the Reese Hodge high tackle and the drama that that caused with Czech and a three-week ban. And we don't need to go into that now. But this team this time around has got the benefit of the Drewer nucleus, doesn't it? These guys that have been playing together the past two years, made the finals this year for the first time, won all but five or six games in Fiji. You bring in the class and the quality that they've got playing in Europe in particular. Um, and this is going to be the strongest and probably strongest, best resource, best prepared, um, and potentially probably best coached, I think, team that Fiji have sent to a World Cup potentially in their history. 
yeah, they're going to be a, a dangerous prospect. And it's really the Wallabies' second match. I think they're playing that one in Sandeshian. And if you look about how Fiji, they've actually had good results over the last month. So they're going to be heading into that tournament full of confidence. Yeah. And, and they've been together for quite a while, good leading uh, period. And of course, you might mention quite rightly of the significance of having the drawer on the competition. And it was interesting. If I cast my mind back to when the World Cup draw was announced, England is coached by Eddie Jones. And Eddie Jones is asked, who do you think will be one of the surprise packages at the World Cup? And he, in fact, made mention of if they can get their stuff together, BG, they could be a dark horse because we all know about the talent that they've got. If they can come together and get their high performance right, that they'll be a threat. Well, lo and behold, Daddy Jones now will be confronting that BG and that flying BG inside uh, in, in a very crucial game because that's the match that pretty much means that they go through to a quarterfinal if they probably win that one. They lose that. They stare down the barrel of probably having to beat the Welsh a week later and Leon in front of a bigger crowd uh, with the highest stakes. So uh, the pressure is on from this moment forward. And the fact that Fiji's had a good start will mean that the Wallabies won't be looking. They'll, they'll certainly know that that's no, that's no gimme. Yeah, Fiji meet Wales, I think, on the Monday night after the first weekend, uh, which is also a massive game in itself. And you're right to mention just the confidence and the continuity and uh, just the, the good vibes of having wins through this period. Um, uh, but, yeah, that that's, uh, certainly looks like a real real danger game, that second one up. Um, but um, Georgia to get through before then. Um, one more World Cup warm-up against France, of course, in Paris, which you're going to be at. Look forward to taking your uh, thoughts from pitch side that night and before I get over there a few days later. Mate, look, it's it's we're on the countdown now, right? We're, we're officially, well, not quite one month, one month to go uh, in a couple of days' time. Uh, 6th of August today, of course, kickoff on the 8th of September. Wallabies underway on the 9th. Uh, bring it on, eh? Bring it on. And look, if you've got any questions over the next couple of days, you want to find out more, let us know. I reckon we'll probably do a podcast later in the week. So we'll break it all down, but there's so much to look forward to. The countdown site so, so much well and truly on. Uh uh, improved performances from the Wallabies week in, week out from every test match that we've seen under Eddie Joes to date. Uh, but lots of unanswered questions. We'll find out a fair few more of those over the coming days. Yeah, perhaps one of the biggest calls in Australian rugby history or certainly recent history uh, could well be made. And we'll bring it all to you here at ESPN. You can, of course, find Christie's work at the Raw as well. Uh, mate, thank you very much for your time. Um, Pumped up, uh, great. To, uh, even uh, looking at it from a uh, taking your, you know, the, your um, uh, what's the word? Uh, objective. Thank you. I'll get there in the end. Um, hat off uh, being a reporter doing that game yesterday from an Australian rugby perspective. Uh, certainly, uh, you can look at it just that little bit more glass half full now after yesterday's performance. But clearly, as Eddie Jones says, a lot more work to come. Can they win the World Cup? I don't think so. Eddie does. I'm not sure you do either. But we'll find out. Uh, in six, what are we, six well, one months out from kickoff and that will all be done in, in three months' time. So bring it on and, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you maybe post-squad uh, announcement. Cheers. Thanks, Bruce.